I'd like to welcome our first sponsor to the official Do Good Better podcast, and that is DonorDoc. Listen, as a nonprofit, DonorDoc knows that you wear many different hats, and that's why they are here to help you make your life easier. DonorDoc helps you connect with your donors on a deeper level and provides you with the tools to become the ultimate fundraiser. There are other instantly cool features too, but we know connecting and staying connected with your donors are high on most of your priority lists. Hey, guess what? DonorDoc is so awesome, and I'm telling you, so awesome, that to everyone listening, they are giving you a 100% discount off your first month. That's right, 100% off. It's absolutely free to use for your first month. All you have to do is use the referral code DOGOODBETTER, and you're set. Again, do good better. It's simple. It's easy. Head to DonorDoc.com to learn more and get started. Hey, thanks, DonorDoc, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. You don't want to screw up because when you do screw up, it's so lonely. And all of a sudden, people remember that. And, you know, bad news travels fast. So so Nonprofit X tried this new thing and nobody showed up for it or it didn't succeed. And, and well, now it's the end of the world. Look, if it's continued failures, that's one thing. Yeah. But the reality is, is that try something. And it's amazing. Even if you fail, you sometimes fail forward. Your organization is awesome. But sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. Of course, this uh, podcast is for small, medium-sized nonprofits doing great big things. We're going to forego our usual pattern of interviewing an awesome leader at a nonprofit and talking about all the fun things that they do at their particular nonprofit. And we're going to go in the weeds a little bit with one of my truly good nonprofit friends, Scott Berlegang. He is not only the executive director of Independence Inc., but he's also the host of Nonprofit Thoughts podcast. And uh, he heads up the Minot Alliance of Nonprofits. Scott, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. Hey, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to talk about everything nonprofit. I'm a unapologetic nonprofit nerd, so this is my stuff. You and me <laughs> both. This is why we are bonded in That's the podcast right. form. Um, there's, there's way too many things to talk about, so we'll just uh, talk until um, our brains nearly explode or we make everybody else's brains explode, and then we'll, we'll sort of have a pause, and then we'll probably bring you back several, t- several times to finish up several conversations. Um, <laughs> you are in Minot, North Dakota, flyover country of all, Right. Um, the state of nonprofits across the board is really weird. It's, it's either you're doing unbelievably well or you're really struggling. Not a lot are kind of in between like meddling, like in, I don't know, just we're holding on, I suppose. What's it like in a place of the country that's not directly tied to outbreak or things or stuff? And how is that in, in, impacting the nonprofit community where you live? You know, we've had kind of a, a couple of things happen within the Minot community. So Minot's a community of about 50,000, so relatively small community. And, and we've had a couple of things happen at the same time, whereas, of course, we had the, the shutdown because of COVID. And sure. um, we haven't had a massive outbreak here, but we also, at the same time, oil prices dropped and we are an oil community. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, there was unemployment based on that. So we went from literally having conversations about how can we 
fill the multiple, multiple jobs that we have in this community to having record high unemployment within a matter of weeks. So that was a, a, a shift in a quick period of time. And what that meant for us in the nonprofit community was we had to get together and do what we do best, which was to be creative and to be innovative and to solve problems. And, and I think that we saw some, some great examples of that for the folks who, who did that, who stepped up and said, all right, the world has changed. How are we going to achieve our mission? And, and I think those nonprofits are going to come out of this okay. I think that they're, going to, they're continuing to establish themselves. They've, they've continued to develop good relationships. Uh, some of them have continued to raise funds and to um, really tell their stories and to be effective in, uh, in, in doing that. And I think like around the rest of the country too, a few maybe didn't quite know what to do and maybe shut down. And I worry that those are the ones that are going to struggle to restart again. Because if you disappeared in a period of time when our country most needed you, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to restart. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Donors uh, getting spooked by this uh, is sort of a common theme that we talk about all the time. I got clients that, that go, oh, I don't know where to do and I don't know who to ask because they've you know, sort of buttoned up. Um, it, within your community, um, where have the donors flocked towards? Where where have there been uh, sort of mission moments that you're like, oh yeah, this everybody kind of stepped up and helped here, here, and here um, in that neck of the woods. Food insecurity is absolutely the answer to that. The amount of, of good that's been done within this community from the local business sector and from uh, different donors and stuff like that to ensure that, you know, as schools went out of business, or schools went out of business, schools went to remote learning, uh, mm-hmm. that they made sure that kids got food at home. Uh, just so many examples out there of, and, and in fact, it was to the point where like at the Alliance, we said, okay, we've got food taken care of. Like, we don't need to talk about this, like th- th- that, that, you know, there were barriers around food, but they were systemic barriers, not necessarily actual issues with getting food. So beyond a shadow of a doubt, everything regarding food came through so well um, during the, the early days of COVID and, and continues to this day too, to make sure that people don't go hungry. And I know that you've got a, a big collaboration. Uh, the, the, the whole Minot Alliance of Nonprofits is really one of those collaborative pieces that get everybody in the room at the same time to go, all right, here are some issues we got we to gotta funnel in. Uh, and I know you've had conversations with folks in the in the in the community that are not basic needs or safety and food, you know, sort of groups. What are, what techniques? What are they saying about reaching out to to donors and and what their experience is when you're not a basic need or you're not an immediate need organization? I'm using air quotes, immediate need. Like if you're not <laughs> that. Uh, for those of us who are listening, uh, but but if you're not frontline or what you assume is not frontline, I'm having you know we'll talk about this too. I think everybody's frontline depending right. on where they go. But what what are some of the concerns or tactics that you're suggesting that individuals use when they're having conversations with donors? Again, what I would say is just continue to over um, introduce your stories, tell your stories, tell the value of your company. Um, it, it doesn't matter. So so. For example, my friends that are in the arts community, it might be easy to say, well, you know, when everybody's locked up at home and unemployment's at records high, we don't need arts, except for every single one of us who were locked up at home did watch a whole bunch of arts, whether it be listening to music or, you know, watching Netflix or whatever it was you were doing, you were absolutely consuming arts at a, at a massive way. So, so those folks that did, did that, they continued to tell their stories and continued to be relevant even when things were down. And maybe their asks were slightly different or maybe mm-hmm. their, um, you know, way of doing things was slightly different, but they didn't stop selling their story and telling their value and sharing it and inviting people to invest in their organizations and the value of their organizations, even when the, 
you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and all of those kind of crazy things. So I've quoted our friend uh, Dana DelVal for the Arts Partnership uh, numerous times on that topic where you're going to look back after this pandemic and think. God arts was a thing because that's the only thing that got us through a lot of this was, you know, sort of deep diving into books or watching everything on Netflix or right. Going, watching a virtual concert or listening to music. That was your escape. That's all art. And so if you're an arts organization listening and you don't think you've got the clout to ask for money, you have all the clout, but, but it's, it's funny because they are the, they're the humble organizations. They're the ones like, Oh, I hope somebody gives us money. But then aggressively talking about, what positive impact they make. And more to your point where those who are telling their story a lot about how this is what we're doing to combat you know, loneliness or you know, depression or whatever, you, you lean on art. Right. Well, and, and even, even getting your story out using traditional media, the, the reality is, is there was no sports news for a few months there. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, uh, for example, I, I was interviewed a couple of times by our local sports reporter about things that we were doing in our nonprofit organization. So uh, they reached out to us and were like, what are you guys doing? Well, the reason they found out about it is we were unapologetic in promoting them. We were sending out press releases. We yes. were sending out stuff on social medias. We were talking to people. And almost every event that we did at Independence during the pandemic ended up with either a newsletter, a newspaper article, or a TV article about it because right. we were unapologetic and pushing out our stuff and telling people what we were doing. And all of that continues to rise the level of community awareness around the value of our stuff. So we didn't go away when people needed us. And, and some of those things weren't necessarily, you know, food shelter. I mean, we did an, uh, an arts class, for example, where sure. we, we delivered to people with disabilities, a package of art supplies to their doorstep and then did a live video of, of us showing them how to paint. I think it was sunflowers or something like that. And, and that was just us being creative in that moment. And that's not normally how we do things, but we don't, you know, so what? Let's do yeah. something different and better and more fun. So. This is this is all things we've never done before. And I right. and part of it, so let me ask you this question. How many people got mad at you for telling your story as many times as possible? Well, I, I have not heard of one person who got mad at us. Every single person was like, Well, that's cool, that's what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look at you guys being creative and innovative. This is what drives me nuts is that uh again, I, I understand if you've got a personality that's not uh, overtly out there, right? You're not, you're, you're a little more reserved and you, and you, you don't want to be, you know, front and center. Don't use jazz hands like I do everywhere. You know, that's kind of a thing, but, but to just not do anything because you think you're going to offend people by, I don't want to ask them for money. You're not asking people for money at this point, right? Like if you aren't starting, you've got to go ramp up your why before you have, you know, how they can help. They're going to naturally ask how they can help if they buy into what you're doing. And if you're not telling people what you're doing, how are they going to buy into it? You know, an example of that is uh, there was, a, we had a, a fundraiser scheduled at one of the typical, everybody does them. They don't raise a lot of money, but they're kind of nice and fun and, and food involved. But, you know, show up at a local restaurant and we'll give 20% of the ticket that night to your nonprofit. Yep. But we had one of those scheduled for about two weeks into the pandemic. And the reality is, I understood that that business was struggling mm. to pay their employees and to keep people on task. And they were doing everything they could to transition over to drive through only or, or catering only or whatever. And we said, you know what, we're not going to ask you for money at this time, but what we're going to do is we're going to tell our people to go visit you anyways, and to show up at this restaurant and support that restaurant anyways. Cause for that moment, it was our chance to support that business. Do you think they're going to forget that in the future when it comes around to when we ask them for something else or we ask them for a future donation or we ask the owners of that company for maybe a big donation. And, and we didn't do it because 
you know, it wasn't a trick, but the reality was it was the right thing to do at that time. And now we have the ability to, in the future, we built up some capital within that organization to do other fun things. So, I mean, I just think there's so many opportunities. Our, our fundraisers, um, the, the people who had donated to our organization in the past and participated in our things, we help them out by sharing on our Facebook page, you know, hey, if you want to go by Cirrus River Brewery, here's how they're continuing to serve their community during this 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 pandemic. So we didn't ask them for anything. We provided for them. But again, we built up that brand loyalty that should, I, I would expect, continue to help them loyal to us. We were there for them. We want, you know, during their time of need. <laughs> Talk a lot about that from, you know, it's, it's okay to celebrate other people's successes. It's Absolutely. okay to celebrate other things that have nothing to do with you as your organization. Why do nonprofits still struggle with that? I mean, I try to hammer it home every single freaking day. And yet still, there are examples of people who are like, well, we can't say that because we might steal a donor or we might be uh, in, impeding on this. That I'm like, ah, yeah. what? What is that? Because yep. it's it's I think it's it's an epidemic within the nonprofit world. It, it's so it's so funny, Patrick, because in half the world you have the nonprofits shouldn't ever compete with each other. Right. And I think that's baloney. Of course we compete with each other. We yes. compete with each other. And 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 you know what? Be competitive and let the donors decide or let the funders decide. Yeah. That's okay. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Hmm. But on the flip side of that is that it does nothing to hurt us to lift each other up because we're all trying to make our communities better. Uh, I, and again, I said this earlier, but I believe in the heart of hearts, what nonprofits do is solve community problems. Yes. And, and as you always say, problems that businesses can't make money at and government shouldn't be involved in. And so that's what we do. And so why should we not help each other out and lift each other up? Because we need to learn from each other. And that's what I do love about the Alliance of Nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And and my my friend Heather and I, Heather Simblick from Companions for Children here in Minot, we have really worked hard to transform that organization into uh an organization that does just that lifts up other nonprofits, allows us to learn from each other, celebrates each other's successes. We're there for each other. Um, and, and that's been so important to do that again, even now to continue to lift each other up and, and to say, Hey, here's what's going on in the community. Let's get out there because, and, and if you're a donor for, for say companions for children, you might also be a donor for independence or the United way or prerogative adaptive sports or any other ones out there. But also, if you're a person who consumes their services, you might also be sharing within all of it. And 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 none of us are alone, and 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 none of us should be alone. I don't want people to be exclusive to just using independence as services. I want people to make you know to live a better life within our community, and that means taking use of multiple nonprofit services. So you know, and it's and again, it's a question that I ask often. You um, know, sort of trainings and stuff is like, well, how many people in the room only give to one nonprofit? Not one person opens it. Like, there's not one person going, I will only give to Scott at Independence Day. <laughs> not the case. Right. People give to their church and they give to their school and they give to multiple people. So like, why are you not trying to lift up others? Because if that rising tide helps every ship, you're one of the dang ships. Right. And I, this is what drives me, again, this is what drives me crazy about this abundance mindset that's lacking. And again, I think, I think uh, this whole pandemic has really amplified your either belief that there is a finite or there's a, there's an infinite number of individuals who want to help you, or it has just secured your belief and like, well, there's nobody else. That, there's no more money anywhere. We're all going to blow up and it's all over. It, it, you got to ride one, the uh, positive wave. And I just don't think that people are thinking about it on a regular basis because they are so terrified of somebody seeing another nonprofit that they're going to completely ditch their own. Right. Well, and, and, and you, 
when you, when you lift each other up too, part of that is too, is that you learn from each other. Look, we sit yes. around our Alliance meetings and we, we steal from each other and we steal good habits and good practices and, and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's the good side of competitiveness. Yes. If somebody else is doing operations better than I am, it's my duty as, a, and as an effective executive director to learn from that and to do, you know, we still borrow and copy everything. There's very few original ideals that are really out there. And so, um, and, and sometimes it's not exactly what they're doing, but we take something. So um, I'll go back and pick on Heather again, but her, her and, and my program staff had a conversation about, we do peer mentoring for people with disabilities. They do mentoring for youth. Not exactly the same thing. Mm. However, we, we had a conversation about how do, we, how do you do your mentoring? How do we do our mentoring in order to steal from their successful program in order to help make ours more successful? Um, and there's so many examples of that, of, of I want donors to know that I'm working hard every day to ensure that their investment in our company is, is going to pay off the best. And if I'm not constantly striving to get better and to provide, to be more innovative and creative, I don't want them to even to invest in me. Like, like judge me on that. Judge me on my abilities to, and, and goes along with the other thing too, Patrick is don't be afraid to make a mistake. My God, yes. it's amazing to me how often in the nonprofit world we're so worried about if we make a mistake. Um, Businesses and entrepreneurs tend not to do that quite as much. They recognize there's yeah. there's always a certain amount of risk in every decision you make. And sometimes businesses fail. Sometimes campaigns fail. Sometimes things like that happen. But in the nonprofit field, oftentimes we're so afraid about trying something new or different because that might show that, you know, we're vulnerable. But surprise, surprise, we are vulnerable. Yeah, um, weird. You know. And so when I see nonprofits that haven't innovative and haven't changed their, their way that they do anything, I actually see that as very much a negative, like, so have you achieved your mission? <laughs> you know, I mean, so no, you're still having problems serving whatever you are doing, whatever your services, but you're still continuing to do things the way that have always worked or haven't necessarily worked to help you achieve that mission. So is, is part of it the worry that if they don't do it, somebody else is not going to give them money or is it, are they so worried about, I don't know, some sort of negative connotations that's going to come out of failure or, or, or they just don't know what's going to have the fear of the unknown. I mean, what is this? It's just, it, and it, again, this is prevalent in most organizations, especially board members who collectively don't want to rock the boat or they don't well, want to mess things up. And I'm like, well, it's already kind of messed up because you haven't gotten fully funded anyway. So how much more messed up can it be if you try something radically new? You know, I think part of it is that John F. Kennedy saying about success has a million fathers and failure is an orphan. And I yeah. think there's a little bit about that, that you want to, uh, you don't want to screw up because when you do screw up, it's so lonely. And all of a sudden people remember that and, you know, bad news travels fast. So, so nonprofit X tried this new thing and nobody showed up for it or it didn't mm -hmm. succeed. And, and well, now it's the end of the world. Look, if it's a continued failures, that's one thing. Yeah. But the reality is, is that try something and it's amazing. Even if you fail, you sometimes fail forward. You sometimes try things. But yeah, board members need to be willing to take yeah. risks. Funders need to be able to take risks. And this is when I get a chance to talk to our grantors and stuff like that out there. I had a grant I did a few years ago um, and it was a small one. It was like a $500 grant and it was to start a new program and it didn't work. It, honestly, I ended up writing out a check for about $163, I believe it was, just give or take a few pennies there. Uh, back to the company, I said, we tried this, it didn't launch. We believed in it. We, we did our research in advance. It didn't work. We're going to give you this money back. And I heard some feedback from people saying, well, they should have never asked for the money if they didn't need it. Well, no, I tried a new program and I tried something and it failed. Mm -hmm. um, we developed 
we learned a lot in that process and we gave you your money back and told you go invest in somebody else. And yet we got negative feedback as if mm-hmm. we had failed. Well, the reality is, is that I didn't allow that to stop us. We'll continue to, I would, I would rather run into walls at full speed sometimes than to continue to be so safe. But, but funders have to realize that, that sometimes they do fail and, and there are no hundred percent guarantees. If, so. if, you, if, you're, if you're an organization, you really have a good game plan, but you don't kind of know how it's going to work. Do you, do you plan on success, but do you also have a contingency failure marketing plan? I mean, I feel like this is, might be a thing that people should do, which is, all right, we plan on this program or this thing to launch with just awesome. This is going to be great. Nothing's going to go wrong. However, if things go to hell in a handbasket, um, we can use this as a marketing plan in order to, to justify our, our proposal and execution of it. So that even though it's a risk, at least you can get something positive out of it. That feel forward thing that you just mentioned, which is like, okay, we learned this and you've already prepped for it. So that at least you can go and enjoy the, the, the process. Yes, is, absolutely. I think people yeah. should do that. Yep. And, 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 and you can always, even in failure, pull out good stories. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing to me. So, so for example, the, the program I talked about, we still fo- we pulled out new relationships out of that. We, we found out some things that didn't work. So therefore we continue to find different things that did work. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, just don't be afraid of that and, and, it, and, 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 and go forward and, and, and just do your best and, and make mistakes of effort as opposed to mistakes of fear. Yeah, you know, because that's the other thing too. If you just are always afraid to try something new, if you're always afraid to, to be innovative or creative, you're going to fail too. Because eventually, people are going to stop giving money to you, and I think they should. That if yeah. you haven't mixed up how you're doing business for 20 years, I'm not so sure I'm going to invest in you. And I, I really wish sometimes funders would look at it that way too. Is okay. So you've been trying to accomplish your mission for 25 years you're still doing things exactly the same way and you haven't achieved your mission. I, I'm coming up, Patrick, on my 20th year that I've been working in the independent living field. And as I reflect back on that, I think back to the things, the things that I was doing 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I don't want to be doing them the same because they haven't no. worked, no. you know? And so we're going to keep, and I know people that are just content with that. They're just doing things exactly the same ways they've always done. There's a certain amount of comfort. It's a little bit like a warm blanket. You can just wrap yourself oh, yeah. in. Yeah. But the reality is, is that I, I've never wanted to be that person that looks back at my career and like, oh, I did things exactly the same way for my entire career and made no difference. Yeah. I, you know, I think when you talk about donors looking at that, I think those are the type of donors who do not look at, okay, it's been 15 years. What impact have you made? But they do really concentrate on how much an executive director makes. And you're like, right. hell is that important to you on that whole thing? First of all, across the board, you're being underpaid in, in general. Like that's just a general fact. And yet they're so concerned about this arbitrary number with their gifts. And I'm, I'm well aware that you're like, you should be paying attention to fiscal responsibility, but there's a difference there. And they've used this as an arbitrary number forever. Yep. And I don't think the nonprofit world pushes back enough on individuals who rely on that as their main objective. I think the pushback needs to be immediate because it has zero, zero impact on everything else. Unless it's the only thing you're paying for and there's zero, you know, other programming right. along the lines. Hey, if, if you've got a high paid staff and no outcomes, I, fine, object. But also I, th- what I see more often is you have low paid staff with yes. Yes. poor outcomes because surprisingly you get what you pay for. 
And, oh, and so if you do not no. create a, a positive work environment for your staff, the staff of nonprofits are by far the most important asset that those nonprofits yes. have. Yes. Um, I don't care what kind of nonprofit you are, your staff are the most important. And people are not paid with just feeling good about their jobs. That doesn't pay the mortgage, doesn't pay for health care, it doesn't pay for any of those things. So when I see nonprofits out there that don't pay, that don't offer benefits for their employees um, ha- and have no plan to offer benefits for employees, don't pay their staff well and have no plans to pay their staff well, to me, that's a sign of a, of a not very solid nonprofit. Now, I get it. You know, startup nonprofits, nonprofits that have struggled fiscally, they can't all start off offering, you know, competitive level salaries and, and competitive benefits. I get that. I agree with that. But let's make that a plan. Yeah. We, let's make it a plan to get to that point where our employees are paid for the professionals that they are. Mm. Because surprisingly, once you pay people well, once you treat people well, their level of performance goes up and their ability to achieve that mission goes up. And we have to be unapologetic about that. And we have to stop as, as board members out there looking at pay increases as a bad thing or as always the first thing to go when we have to make tough budget decisions yeah. or as, as funders out there looking at that, well, how much of this is going to go to overhead? That's, it's a dumb question the because dumbest. it's a matter of how much can you actually achieve that mission? Because again, it's all about people. We are a people business and our staff, the people that work in our organizations are extraordinarily important and, and we can lift up volunteers and that's absolutely wonderful. And we can lift up donors and in that way. But the reality is, is that the staff are so important in that. And, and, you know, this, this pay them a little bit more, this expect a little bit more and you'll be shocked at how much more you can do. I think, I think it comes down to an educating, educating donors thing there too, because I think if they're deep they're again, their default is, uh, let me, let me know about your, your, your paying or what you're paying your staff. That's, that's a dumb donor. And I don't mean that in like, they're, they're, they're not probably purposefully dumb. They just probably haven't been educated on what that means in the first place, or they read something online that, you know, um, Vule talks about this all the time is that they look for, you know, here are the best nonprofit, best run nonprofits list yeah. where, right, where there's like a percentage of like, and people are terrified to be on that list of highest, you know, um, percentage of money going to programming. If you don't have to pay your programming, if you don't have your infrastructure, you have no programming, you have no impact. Right. And I, and I think that's when you're, when you're, if you're a nonprofit leader and you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know how to have that conversation. That's the first conversation in a deep, like a deep dive you go with your donors is I want to tell you a little bit about what we do and where we spend our, our money. We spend it on staff because it's really important because it's highly, it's highly aggressively trained because there's so much nuance to your, you know, this too, in the DD community, the developmental disability community, how much training does a, does a staff member have to do before they hit the floor or, or go one-on-one with individuals? It's, yep. It's an obnoxious amount of certifications. It's all important, but it's an obnoxious amount. That takes time and money. It takes time and money to train people continuously because the government changes the rules every, what, four and a half hours nowadays? Right. They're like, don't get funded if you don't do this. Well, now you got to train your entire staff and you have to buy in. You have to follow up with your staff to make sure that that sticks, that takes time and money. And I think we need to do a really a better job in the nonprofit community in general about saying to our donors where money goes and why it's so critically important to fund that training, that education, that continuous um, uh, backend stuff that's not sexy. It doesn't put a name on a door, but it gets you a certificate that allows you to interact 
with those clients to make sure that they're getting the best experience possible in the best environment possible. And that's really where the value of the dollar goes. Right. Well, and, and the next step of that too, is that you, you absolutely just hit on all of that money that goes into the initial investment in employees. And when you have a high turnover rate, mm. that continues to waste money and, and the cost of, of constantly replacing employees. So it's amazing to me how often um, nonprofits can, can be, is it pound foolish and I messed up that quote, but you know, they just can't quite get that it down in order to, you have to invest in people in order so that they stay when you have the right employees and when the right employees stay, it saves you money in the long term. And and that's true for every level of, of the organization. I want careers in nonprofit world. And I want us to have that conversation a little bit more. Uh, One of the realities is, is that the aging, the age of the average executive director is something like 55, 58 mm-hmm. or something like that. Within the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a massive amount of turnover in executive level positions within the nonprofit world. And are we doing an effective enough job raising up the next generation to move into those positions? A, I don't think so because it's often those, those lower level jobs and the lack of middle salary jobs yep. that actually do pay things like not only a, a good salary, but like I said earlier, healthcare, maybe yep. some sort of a 401k, an investment plan, something that actually says we're going to invest in you for your career. Mm-hmm. They, they're they lacking. And, and furthermore, then what happens is when executive director positions come open, there's nobody actually qualified for it. There's nobody that has the training in that, in that field or in a similar related field. And so they go and they pick off somebody from the for-profit world who comes in and doesn't have that background and that knowledge. They may be extraordinarily successful in other fields. But that ends up hurting us too, because then they're learning from scratch. Um, and so if, if we want to compete, again, are we looking at us as if this is a career in the nonprofit world? And uh, you, you mentioned, Patrick, as funders. I, I had to sit on a, a grant funding scoring committee a while back. And one mm-hmm. of the people that came in, I looked at what they were going to pay their staff and I scored it lower because they were paying their staff like crap. Yeah. And I am like, no, I don't, this is not who I want to invest this grant. And yes, you might be able to get hypothetically more hours out of this grant because you're paying your employees less. However, you're going to have turnover. You're not, you're going to have, you know, the cost of you paying your employees so little is more than if you just paid them a little bit more and rewarded them at a, at a slightly more respectable rate. What, what's the next, I mean, again, I, I, I think you're hundred percent right. I think we need to talk about this because that next generation of nonprofit leaders is non-existent. Yep. And, and here's the reason why part of, because I think they get burnt out younger than they should. And they get, um, they come in idealistic, which is great. I mean, you want people to be like, you know, I can do this and I got a positive spin on the world. I don't think you can have a bunch of Debbie Downers running, you know, nonprofit organizations when they are solutions to really hard problems. But there's an issue with, then they replace executive directors with individuals who have either run businesses or marketing groups or whatever. And they don't understand the nuance of the boots on the ground what it takes to day-to-day ops some of these organizations and they don't have the understanding about what a nine to five with a low pay is so that they can bring that perspective to an executive level or board conversation. So you're bringing in people who have a business mind, which again, you should have a business mind when you're running. Absolutely. You should, right? I'm not, I'm not dismissing that, but some businesses don't have perspective on the amount of work and let's just say human services, for example, because that's the one we, like you and I are, are in that the most, right? The amount of work 
and chaos that reigns within the human services area, their perspective is skewed because they look at it from a budgetary standpoint and a feel-good standpoint, but none of the reality and the dirty, dark secrets of being, you know, hit and, you know, defecated on and fought and, and lashed out at, which is something nobody wants to talk about. And yet they're making these executive level decisions and uh, things that are adversely affecting, you know, incoming or current folks that highly stresses them out. And then they quit and they got to rehire everybody again. And they wonder why they're not getting the support they need internally or the buy-in they're getting internally from any other stuff. Right. Well, and really investing in, um, yeah, that whole picture. And, and I, I did hear of an organization recently that actually said they were, they were stopping investing so much in, in entry-level staff and investing more in management staff Brilliant. because they realize that it's so important for management staff, A, to, mm-hmm. again, look at it like it's a career, yeah. but also realize that their training and their techniques and their way that they interact with people is extraordinarily important for actually helping out with, we can continue to talk about starting salary all day long, but, but starting salary is only so important if people come to their position and they hate it. And so how do we invest in, in actually and in, in creating environments that people want to be part of it and, and, and looking at that beyond, um, you know, the way things were done 25, 30 years ago and um, what kind of, you know, what, what do people want that don't cost you any money? And, and I think yeah. we learned a little bit about that as we all kind of, or many of us shut down and went to work at home and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, Maybe a nine to five isn't doesn't work for everybody. So maybe we can create some flexibility there. Maybe we allow people to work at home a little bit more, mm-hmm. or maybe now you give people the flexibility to where um, you know they can go work in a coffee shop if they need some data entry in, and they don't need to do it. And there's just, just so much more beyond. You know, I'm going to just provide you with this everybody with the same exact work environment, but really yeah. looking at 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 the bigger picture about why do people want to work at your company. Mm-hmm. why and, and realizing that just saying well because we have a good mission isn't going to cut it there's mm-hmm. got to be other things too right <laughs> so what's what is the what's the main thing that you are hearing from businesses as you're kind of talking about partner i mean again good good bad good environment bad environment uh pandemic or not what's the one thing that you're hearing from businesses? Cause I know you have conversations with a ton of people. If you don't know, Scott, uh, he's a, he's a man about town. as I like to call him. <laughs> um, but you have conversations in casual and professional settings. And what are you hearing about how a nonprofit maybe addresses bonding with or getting to know a business, not necessarily for a first gift, but the, that long-term end game um, of building a long-term relationship. How do businesses like to be approached? Um, so, so first and foremost, I think that we have to re- recognize the fact that nonprofits are businesses. Yes. And so when you can talk to them and, and make them sure that they recognize that you deal with many of the same issues that they do. And, and so when you come to them and you talk to them about, you guess what I have, we're a nonprofit, but we still have payroll taxes. We still have all these regulation and we have all these different barriers that we're facing and, and we have employee costs and we have all these things. So, so really, I, I think it's important to relate to them on, on a, on a very much, we're in this together. We're, 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 we're equals in some way. Um, the, the reality is, is that I think for far too long, the nonprofit community has, has been like, you know, little Timmy, can I have some more please? Yeah. And, and I just believe we have to change that so much because nonprofits are, are part of a successful business community. I, I'm active in our chamber of commerce and in our, um, you know, in particular government affairs, because, the things that affect government affairs for businesses also affect government affairs for nonprofits. Mm. 
And even though I sometimes bring a slightly different angle and ask slightly different questions within that group. And so I think that's extraordinarily important is to invest, you know, meet them as equals first and foremost. And then I, I, I'd really like the language. And I think I learned this a little bit from you um, a few years ago here, but rather than talking about, um, you know, here's, you know, and, and give us money because we want you to give to our poor little charity, but rather to use it in terms that they use, which is when you invest in our company, not only can you potentially get a, a tax break, but you create a better community. And when you create a better community, um, and when our nonprofits are successful, this helps you to create more customers and to create, um, you know, a world in which people want to live in. And, and and we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but prior to COVID-19 heading, the biggest problem we had in Minot was we had so many jobs that we had to attract employees to this community. And really, that changed so much how we look at economic development, because for so long, economic development was about smokestacks and storefronts. Well, that is flipped now to where it's about people can work anywhere and live anywhere. So why are they going to choose Minot? Or why are they going to choose the community in which you live? And, and I think part of that answer is that if we have a strong, vibrant nonprofit community, that provides opportunities um, not only for services, but for arts and entertainment and things like that. And it helps to enhance your community. So we are part of the same ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so really encouraging people to realize that, that nonprofits and for-profits are all part of that same system. And the stronger, again, we, we are all stronger together. I had a conversation with uh, some folks over at the SBA and uh, I was talking about, you know, they had a couple of funds from the commerce department to help small businesses get from point A to point B. And I was like, do you offer this to nonprofits? And they're like, oh no, we're not allowed to. And I go, well, that's weird because you would imagine that these large entities that are taking care of some of the social woes that are part of the community aren't being given the same uplifting chance and business development, uh, you know, consulting or whatever from, you know, business organizations, because if those organizations go under, where do you think the burden of figuring out where everything else goes is going and right to your pocketbooks, a, because your taxes are going to skyrocket because the government's going to have to figure it out. And that like, why would you want to risk whatever impact is made, whether it's human services or art or, or, or whatever is, is impacted and they go away. Now what are you going to do? You got to start from scratch. It's the same way from a hiring place. Um, that's it. That's just an interesting way of projecting. These are businesses too. The impact we make is just the same. We do a lot of work that you don't want to touch. Um, and yet if we go away, the only reason we, if we go away is because you don't help us. That's a weird, it's a weird thing to just position yourself. And I think you're right. That's how you have a conversation with some of these businesses, right? They well, know, and, they understand that. And we recognize it unquestionably. It's right in the word that the purpose of business is to make profit. Yes. We, we, we recognize that. And you are only a successful business if you make a profit. Um, nonprofits, we obviously aren't, don't exist to make a profit, but we do exist to have a, a strong fiscal mm. health of our organization. And I think yep. that's something that we don't talk about enough either is are nonprofits healthy? We did a, a survey within the Alliance at the beginning of, of the, the pandemic and asked, you know, well, basically we wanted to get a, a sample of what is your health of your organization. And we found out there's nonprofits out there that have like less than two months of operating expenses. So if, if their funding wrapped up within a month or two months, they are shutting their doors. That is scary. That is, that is so unhealthy that they're constantly out there. How can you possibly feel like that's the company that you want to work at? But I can also guarantee you, I shouldn't say this on reason, but I'm willing to bet their board has not saw that as a problem. No, 
that they're like, oh, let's go get some new dollars that we have yep. to quickly turn around and spend and we won't save anything. Um, and, and when I started at my company now, I, I've told this story many times, we were, you know, a, a paycheck away from or a pay period away from from being insolvent. We were constantly waiting to get our reimbursements and to get funds in so that we can make payroll every two weeks. That's scary. No nonprofit, we that can't be long-term sustainable. It might be short-term, but if that's your situation with your nonprofit, you have to be looking to yes. to improve that. That has to be a goal of that organization. Yes. Um, get, get some months in there so that you have some security so that when there are the normal ebb and flows of your company, you can survive. <laughs> and back to our point about hiring internally and making sure that you've got staff, bringing staff members along on that journey to figure that path out and giving them the, uh, the, uh, the, the opportunity to be in leadership roles in order to help navigate those, those questions is doing your organization a favor. And the nonprofit community in general is training people to come through those scenarios and go, okay, I remember this situation. This is what we did. Something similar here. I know who to reach out to in order to get some of those things rather than they throw up their hands and go, well, screw it. We're going to close. Right. That, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, and one thing too that I want to add in on that too is, a practice I just wish that more nonprofits would do when they have employees is, is identifying future potential leaders and recognizing the fact that they're probably not all going to be, you know, middle-aged white men, but recognizing the fact that they're going to look slightly different perhaps, and they're going to have a different skill set than what you have yep. and going out and finding those people, um, developing their skills, promoting them, putting them in positions where they can learn as much as possible um, and, and I think that's so important and really encouraging them and being, I look back at my career, I can tell you, I can almost pinpoint the moment when I was 20 years old and I sat across the CEO from the company that I worked at in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. And he looked at me and he said, I think you could be a CEO someday. I was 20 years old. I didn't see that in myself, but you know what? It planted that seed in my head yep. that I, I continued to work through that and then eventually got to where I am today. We need to do that more. We need to do that more with, with minorities. We need to do that more yep. with people from the GLBTQ community. We need to do that more with, with uh, even to this day with females. And, and, and I think, we need yeah, to plant that seed. Yeah, you do. And I think you need to start training boards now to make sure that they understand what that's going to look like. Because Holy hell, yes. This, this is going to be a shock to the board system when they see, you know, individuals like, uh, oh, female of color leading our organization. How do we deal with this? And what's appropriate and what's not appropriate? And how do you how you position yourself as an organization to give them the, the, the tools they need to be successful. And if that means you need to leave, that's part of it. And that reality is going to hit a lot of organizations coming up and down, down the road is that this is, this is going to be the new way it's done. And there's going to be individuals who are just not going to be happy about it. Right. Well, and, and just preparing boards in general for yeah. that, that having, having um, contingency plans for what if, if I get hit by a bus, like how is this going to work? But also, um, and, and, and having the confidence to recognize the fact that, that as you're developing leaders, they might not always become leaders within your organization, but look for organization leaders elsewhere, that right. there are so many skills that are transferable. And I, I joke about that. Um, you know, my, my mentor in this field, Nate Allgaard, who recently passed away, um, Nate joked about that quite a bit, that he trained me up for this current job that I have now. And, and the reality is, uh, he did. <laughs> you know, he provided me with. He helped me me grow into everything else, so that I could go take a job elsewhere. But you know what? I was a good employee the ten years that I worked at that company as well, and I I, I was able to do things that paid him back. So right. yeah. So prepare your boards, prepare your staff, 
uh, teach them how to do that. One mm-hmm. of the things that, that I've done a little bit through uh, nonprofit thoughts is like, here's the skills that you actually look for in leaders. It's not just a matter of, hey, is this person interested or have they done this job before? But really looking at the core competencies that, that you need in nonprofit leaders. Um, and A, let's develop that in our new people. Uh, if you have a staff member who's a superstar who you think someday could be a, in that role, start getting them training that. I cannot tell you how much fiscal management is important. If you can get them anything to where they can begin to learn fiscal management, it's going to make such a game breaker. Myself, and I don't expect this for everybody, but I went back to college and you know, studied business management while I was working in a nonprofit because I, it's the way I roll. Um, <laughs> and, and so when I could sit down, I could talk about how to read a profit and loss. I could talk about how to develop a budget. I could talk about the basics of a, you know, generally, and generally accepted accounting practices. But let's teach those, those folks from those alternative backgrounds so that they have those skills when they're applying for those jobs. I just think that's so important. And also boards need to be able to ask hard questions about those things as well. Yep. Oh, (laughs) I absolutely. Uh, This has been awesome. This is one of those times where like, oh, I'm not stuck to a script and kind of just go uh, in whatever direction it was. This is the type of conversation, by the way, that you will have with Scott at any given moment, at any given day. (laughs) Because again, if you're a nonprofit dork like we are, this is the rabbit hole we go down every time we grab a beer together. Um, and that's why I think the the fact that, you know, he's heading up the Minot Alliance of Nonprofits, and this is where a lot of these things are going to get solved on a, on a ground level, um, which I think is that's why it's so fantastic that you are rocking and rolling with this. If people are interested in, in sort of looking at what you're doing, both either from the podcast standpoint or the Alliance of Nonprofits thing, they want to reach out to you and say, well, what are you doing? How can I find, how can I fund my own or found my own Alliance of Nonprofits in the own city that I'm listening to? How do they get a hold of you? How do they get uh, the brain of Scott in their heads? So, so a couple of ways. Obviously, Alliance of Nonprofits, um, Minot Alliance of Nonprofits is on Facebook. You can go and, and send us a message to that. I have uh, Nonprofit Thoughts is my, my nonprofitthoughts.com is my website. Um, I'm looking forward to kind of putting up some new content on there here in the next few weeks. I took a little break. Also, um, nonprofitthoughts.com has a, also has a Facebook page with a messenger. So within those places, there should be relatively easy to find a way to get a hold of me and, and drop me a note. Uh, those are all my kind of side hustles. And uh, so I, I do them at odd hours of the day sometimes, but I totally welcome all kinds of conversation. And yes, I'd love to see Alliance of Nonprofits and communities across this country, to be honest with you, because there's so much value that comes in that. And if people can get together and, and converse and talk and, and as Heather always says, if we can just play nice together, there's so much more that can be done. So That's absolutely true. We're going to drop all those links in the, uh, in the podcast show notes, because I think you need to go out and go find uh, find Scott anywhere, ask him questions, engage, and then, uh, and then get started and kind of get your brain right about lifting up as many people as possible within the nonprofit community, exactly the way that Scott does. Scott, thank you for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. It has been a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Patrick. This was a lot of fun. We're going to have to have you back soon. We'll chat then. See you guys. Hey, when you Google your hometown, what's the impression you get? Does it look like a vibrant, active community that would welcome your new business idea or welcome your family? Small Town Labs to the rescue! Hey, active fun social media posts, upgrading your city website, improving your town's online curb appeal, even providing competitive analysis versus other small towns in your area. Small Town Labs 
will create everything that you need to sell your hometown to new businesses and to new homeowners. Heck, they even manage those leads for you. So email them today at buildsmalltowns at gmail.com. Again, buildsmalltowns at gmail.com. Hey, thank you, Small Town Labs, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. There are countless videos, books, articles, and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money. Of course, that's a major problem. Too much information. Do Good University has an online library of lectures, courses, and trainings that concentrate on one thing, making fundraising simple. Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.